Hi, and welcome to Figure of Speech, a program from WRBH where every week you can meet local poets and writers from the New Orleans community and listen to them share their work. Take a listen. Hello, listeners. This is Maurice Carlos Ruffin, and today I'm going to read two essays and one short story. They're relatively short, but they are connected. And I've selected these three works because we all pay attention to you know, many of the problems that we have here in America, right? And, and one of the things that we have been talking about as Americans is, of course, we know we're the greatest nation on earth, but we also have one of the highest incarceration rates in the world. And it's a strange thing to call yourself the greatest amongst the greatest that ever existed. But then they have this idea that some percentage of your people, some large percentage of your people are just really bad and should be locked away. So I've been exploring this idea for years through my writing. And uh, today I'm going to read first an essay that I called Displacement in New Orleans. It was commissioned by, of all things, an um, architectural and design magazine out of the Northwest called Arcade Magazine. And I believe it was published um, in 2016, but it may have been 17. So you Google that fact. But I'll read this one first, and it is called displacement in New Orleans. A building is an invitation. In my hometown of New Orleans, nearly 100,000 African Americans were forced out of the city due to the government and insurance company's response to Hurricane Katrina. Over 10 years later, those citizens haven't returned. It's difficult to come home when the policy you paid premiums on for decades won't pay out. Or when the federal, state, and municipal programs designed to help you are so browned in red tape, they're unusable. Yet billions of dollars in investment from both the government and private industry have flowed into the city, leading to the construction of new towers like the iconic and cool 930 Porter's Tower, or the postmodern condos on the reinvigorated lanes of Ferret Street. It's a big change from the city I've lived in my whole life. If one word could have summed up the New Orleans I knew, it was decay. It seemed that the vast majority of shotgun houses, camelbacks, and creole cottages were in a perpetual state of disrepair. Peeling paint, cracked foundations, missing siding. New Orleans, like many American cities, redlined black communities. Families went into banks for home improvement loans and were summarily turned away. A building, despite appearances, is a handshake, a warm smile, and a kind greeting. The new condos dotting the city may be geometric and austere. They may come in gunmetal gray or industrial silver, with the rare brick facade or whimsical exterior staircase to liven up affairs. But... These monoliths invite newcomers, 
New Orleans was one of the fastest growing cities in the nation for a time after Katrina. To put down roots and make a place in this place. These newcomers enter from all corners of America, but they're mostly white, young, and urbane, are attracted to the kinds of cultural programming one finds in Austin or Brooklyn or Paris, pop-up restaurants, yoga studios, co-working spaces. Forest Street is only one example of the steady transformation of New Orleans, which includes the welcoming of one group of Americans, along with the displacement of another. Ferret Street, near Napoleon Avenue, bisects a neighborhood that was primarily African-American before Katrina. Before Katrina, there was a venerable soul food restaurant that served local specialties for very low prices. There was an auto shop that repaired tires for less than 10 bucks. There was a bakery where you could buy a birthday cake for slightly more. Today, no black-owned businesses remain except for a barbershop. But there's a hip pizzeria that serves Neapolitan pies from an imported word-burning oven. I've never seen any of the men from the barbershop in the pizzeria. The remaining auto shop doesn't sell used tires. A necessity for people who are low income. I've never seen any of the men from the barbershop in this garage. The new bakery charges $150 for a 12-inch cake. I've never seen any of the men from the barbershop or the new bakery. This is not to say that there has been no investment in new architecture for the benefit of native black New Orleanians. Perhaps the most visible project of the past decade is the Orleans Parish Prison, which sits on the side of I-10 and is impossible to miss when entering town. In a city that is sometimes called the incarceration capital of the world. The prison is a marvel, even beautiful. With its imposing stone and glass exterior, it almost looks like an impressive research facility of some kind. In reality, it's a hand reaching out to New Orleans' undereducated, chronically underemployed population of African-American males. New Orleans appears to be undergoing a transformation. From a city of workaday delivery men and jazz parades to something a bit tamer and more predictable. It's unclear how far the metamorphosis will go. But watch the buildings. The second piece that I'm going to read is called Louisiana and... I was asked to write this piece for Pacific Standard Magazine, and they did a project this year in 2018 where they wanted to touch on each of the 50 states and have somebody write a piece that sort of represented that state. So, as I've said, the incarceration issue has been on my mind for quite some time, with New Orleans having been the most incarcerated city in America, with Louisiana being the most incarcerated state in the United States and with our nation being the most incarcerated nation in the world. So I wrote this short piece. It is a true story, although I've changed some names to protect people within it. And this is very short. It's called Louisiana. 
I'm sitting in a gray cinder block room when the man enters. He's mid-40s, ruddy complexioned, paunchy in that happily married father of two ways some guys have. He carries a fishing rod and chats up the guard who's jittery. I'm jittery too. It's not every day I visit my brother-in-law, who I help raise, in a central Louisiana prison. My father and uncle and some cousins have all spent time inside. My white friends often ask why I've never done drugs. I tell them about my dad. They wonder how somebody gets real time, real jail time for weed. Exactly, I always say. My brother-in-law, call him Percy, is one of my favorite people. I spent a lot of time big brothering him back in the day, asking about school, tossing around a football. He was great at throwing. So I considered doing something with him I was better at, like jogging or fishing. I never got around to it. The guard and the guy with the fishing rod are still by the front door. Turns out the fisherman, now leaning on the wall, is the warden. He stopped in to check on his holdings. I get the impression that the warden has no intention of entering the prison, if he can help it. The guard gestures back toward the yard and says, mealtime just finished. I'm called to the visitor's area. In the interview closet, Percy and I chat like old times. He was slim, but each day they feed the inmates ham on white with mayo, which packs on the pounds quick. I've heard most of the inmates wind up with diabetes. I don't blame myself for Percy's chains, but I wonder what it would be like to finally catch some redfish with him. Okay, and the last piece that I'm going to read is a short story that I wrote called The Children of New Orleans. This piece was published in Agni Magazine a couple of years ago, and I think of it as sort of the end of a series of short stories that I have been writing about young New Orleanians in danger, young black New Orleanians in danger. And if the stories all had a similarity to them, is that they were they were either chases or they were some sort of physical danger that these kids were facing. And when it came to this story, the last one in the series, sort of my guiding light for it was that this was set in the future. I think of it as maybe 100 years in the future, so it's pretty far out. And this being the story of the very last black child in the city of New Orleans. So this is the story published in the Agni magazine. It's called... The Children of New Orleans. I can say clutch with both arms. Anything less, Tweety Bird, you lose everything quick. I can run fast and climb the fence. I almost fall loose. On the other side, she let me down from her back and popped me. Ask if I know what she's saying. I say baby birds don't have arms. 
and she popped me again. I nod. A humpy growled up the block. The same rainbow-striped humpy that tried to eat us before is playing the ice cream truck song. Don't let it eat us. I can't tell me stop playing. Shut up and squinch close to the dirty mattress so I don't get found like the other kids. But the mattress smell like potty. The good troop men ride the back of the Humvee like dog fleas. They didn't used to come to Harmony Oak. But now they come like this to the playground. I can't tell me to cover my face, but I want to see inside the Humvee. She pushed me down. A light go rolling across the brick wall, right over my head. The light happy bounce up the street. I can't run me to the alley. Safe now. I can't breathe hard and wipe her mouth. Let's get inside before we pop sickles. I can't knock on the door. Bop, 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 bop. Didn't mean to pop you so hard. I pout. She always popped me. When the good troop men show up, she run. She ought to pop them. Aunt Choosy rubbed my head. What this girl pouting for? We almost got ate by the Humvee, I say. Humvee, I can say. Lord have mercy. Aunt Choosy wrapped her scarf tight on her hair. She rubbed her arms. Night of taking girls, too? What the man trying to do to us? I can't say the Humvee wouldn't have got so close if it wasn't for me. Twitty ought to stay here with me anyway, Aunt Choosy say. She limped to the table and gave me some word cards. Pasture, peaceful, passenger. Look, I can say, she ain't got no kindergarten to go to. And she's going to need more than word cards to make it, even if she is special. Keep on and my boy cousins used to go and get our food. But I can say, now they're balling in the belly of the Humby, a three-haired dog in disguise. I can't wipe split off her face. And she pointed at me. Fathead getting too he- heavy to carry, through, though. I ain't no fathead. I kick out Kim's leg. I can't stick her tongue out. She yank off my backpack and take out what she borrowed from the good market, from the good people market. This what we bring into the other side. Four hunks of cure meat, my best favorite animal crackers with the polar bear in the box, magic good skin cream. On choosy blacker than new coffee, but she swear that cream make her lighter. Hallelujah, she say. You got me the strong kind. Aunt Choosy opened the cream and rubbed some right on her face. She smiled like she looked good already. Picnic. Pizzazz. I don't know how you use that gunk the way it burned. I can't pull off her peacoat. Stop skipping, Tweety, and put down them cards. She take off my bubble coat. Pumpkin. Parade. Everybody got a sacrifice for beauty on Tuesday, say. If you ever want to find a fine boy, you start using this too. You're too dark, like a chocolate bar left in the sun. I Kim rolled her eyes. I had me a fine boy, and he didn't care if I was black-skinned or good-skinned. 
Well, that was before Aunt Choosy do a Jesus cross with her hand. They all gone now. She wobbled to the stove where gumbo cooking. Nothing in the pot but filet powder. We can't get shrimp or crab or cock-a-doodle-doo sausage. My tummy rumble anyway. Open my best favorite animal crackers. But I can say, Tweety, do you stop thinking about food even for a hummingbird second? Did we talk about how them crackers is when we go to the wall tomorrow? My face get hot because I know she said that. But I forget. And how come Aunt Chewie get to open her magic good skin cream? Kivon say that cream the devil's work, I say. I can't smile at me like I said something super smart. I miss Kivon. He was tall and strong and made I can laugh a lot. He always brought me my best favorite animal crackers with the polar bear on the box. But one time, he brought one with the gorilla on the box. It didn't taste as good. Nope. Package. Pickle. Punch. I can't put her hand on me. Do you ever stop talking, little girl, she asked. Too smart for your own good. Outside, ice cream truck music play, and I sing. It don't matter wherever you run, the hum be gonna get you. Best to stop and give yourself up. Somebody whack the door like they want to get in real bad. Aunt Choosy and I can frown. Aunt Choosy shake her head. I can grab my hand. But we ain't eat yet, I say. The door fly open. Aunt Choosy scream. She got a broomstick in her hand. But I can yank me out. Back in the kitchen. Something go bang. I hold on to I Kim. We fly down the fire escape. I yell, what about Aunt Choosy? What about Aunt Choosy? But I Kim just keep chugging like a choo-choo train. And she don't stop till the music gone. We get to the barbed wire fence that cut Harmony Oak off from the good people. I can pull out wire cutters and cut. We skis through. I shake like our dog, top dog, used to when Kevon gave him a bath. I know it's cold, baby. I can't hold me close. We left our coats in the kitchen. But once we get to the other side of the wall, we safe. We can't be leaving on Tuesday, I say. We got to go back. And how Kevon and my boy cousin is going to find us after we go away, mommy? I can raise her hand like she's fixing to pop me again, but she don't. I ain't supposed to call her mommy, because that makes the humby come faster. But I forget to remember sometimes. They're gone, I can say. You know what you saw. I was playing hopscotch on Aunt Choosy's sidewalk when the ice cream truck music come and the humby roll up. It was real pretty with lights and rainbow stripes all over. I wonder where they keep their push pops and chocolate chip sandwiches. Troop men was on the top with guns 
I drop my best favorite pink chalk and run inside. When the troop men come in, I hide the clothes on top of me in a pile, like Kevon and I Kim taught me. So the troop men couldn't find me. From under the stinky towels, I saw flashes. Kevon and my little boy cousins play dead. The troop men put them in the Humvee. They didn't mess with Hakim none. Even if she tried to pop one of them, they pop her. But you said they would bust out the Humvee. I know what I said, baby. I can't wipe my face. But this ain't make-believe. People don't come back when they dead. So we see them again when they're alive. I can't face get hard, then soft. We're looking for the wall. The moon's so big, I raise my hand to touch it. But I can't say, don't be crazy. The moon even more far away than the other side of the wall. We somewhere I've never seen before. The buildings are tall and covered with jewels, everything clean, but I came shirt dirty from us resting on the ground. This one good-skinned old lady shake her head when we walk by. Somebody yell, no chimps. I can't pull me faster. She said, we keep our heads down. They're going to think we fixing to clean somebody's house. I squeeze I Kim fingers tight. When we get to the other side, I Kim say, I'm going to get me a bike I can ride when the sun shines and the sky blue. I asked if I could ride too. And she smiled and she say, she had one of those funny bikes with the extra seat on the side. She nudged me. When we get to the other side, I say, I'm going to get me a house full of my best favorite animal crackers with a good polar bear on the box. You going to share with me, I can't ask? I say I will. Wipe my nose. Blood on my hand. I can't pinch my nose and tilt my head back. That the wall, Tweety. I can't pull me up on her hip. We made it. The wall's so tall, I don't know how even the moon get over it. The ice cream truck music play. I can't slap the wall. There's supposed to be a way to get to the other side. There must be a way. Lights come on. The hum be up the street. I'm getting close. I can't lay down. Somebody made a hole under the wall here. She dig mud out with her hands. But it's halfway filled in. I can't fit. She pulled me down and tell me to crawl under the wall. No, Mommy, I can't. You love Mommy? She asked. I nod. Then you'll see me on the other side. Now fly, baby. I drop into the hole. It's black like under my bed where the three-haired dogs live. It's cold. It's wet. It's squishy. She say go faster, Tweety. As fast as you can, girl. Do good. Kevon and your boy cousins waiting. On Tuesday, too. We'll get on our funny bikes and ride away quick. We'll eat animal crackers. You and me, Tweety. I asked when. But I don't hear mommy no more. The music still play.
but I see light on my fingers. In closing, I'll say about that last story, the children of New Orleans, that one of the things people often do is that they mistake having a formal education with being intelligent. And I think one of the things I was thinking about in that story where the protagonist, she's only five years old, uh, her mom's a teenager, a young teenager, is that you can have characters like people in real life who are often undervalued because they're just not seen as valuable, but they're extremely intelligent. And they have all the abilities that anybody else has. I wrote a piece about constructing the voice of the main character in that story. Her name is Tweety, the five-year-old. And you can find my essay about that on the Agni Magazine website, A-G-N-I Magazine website, where I talk about that concept. So in closing, I'll say that this is Maurice Carlos Ruffin. You can find me on Twitter at Maurice Ruffin. My first novel is coming out from One World Random House in January 2019. And between now and this time next year, I'll be doing a tour and many readings, even around town in New Orleans. So holla at me. Be happy to see you. And um, until next time. That's our show. You've been listening to Figure of Speech, a community poetry and writing program from WRBH. You can tune in every Saturday at 1 p.m. and on Mondays at 9 p.m. for more great New Orleans writing. Thanks for listening.